Thank you, congregation. You may be seated. Welcome again to HBF. We're glad that you are with us this morning. And uh, this morning is a is a special day for us because we celebrate the Lord's Supper. Uh, there's several things that we are um, uh, celebrating this morning. So uh, we're just uh, we're excited about all that God is doing here at HBF. And I wanted to start off by uh, doing a deacon presentation. And you might ask, what is that? Well, uh, if you're a guest here, we go through a process every two years where we uh, select deacons and then we install them. Uh, this is not our installation service. We, we're going to do that next Sunday night. Uh, so you're welcome to come 6 o'clock. Uh, I believe that's May the 7th. And uh, be a part of that celebration. And we'll be more deliberate. The pastors will lay hands on the deacons as they're installed into the office. But uh, we, we take every two years and we uh, select deacons. You select them. Uh, and then we install them. Uh, and so I wanted to acknowledge, because we're celebrating the Lord's Supper, and we've had a, a change in one of the, the deacon offices that uh, one of the officers has changed. I wanted to let you know who they are and present them this morning. So if I could, I just want uh, the, the seven men that have been selected to come forward. Uh, that'd be Lance Yoder, uh, Jim Stovall, uh, Luke Fleshman, Jim and Sherry, or not, I'm, the, I'm not asking the wives to come up, Jim Stovall, uh, Luke Fleshman, Mitch uh, Newland, Chris Cohen, Brady Barnes, and I think Rex, I think I missed Rex. So you guys know who you are. Come on up here. So, uh, uh, I want you guys to see them for two reasons. Uh, we think you did a good job. Uh, so congratulations. Uh, yeah. Yeah. <clears throat> They'll also be serving the Lord's Supper. Uh, and so I want you to know who they are. I also want to thank uh, Brian Johnson, who served. Uh, Brady will be replacing Brian Johnson uh, in, in uh, Geo Section 2. For those of you that have, that would be, you're now my deacon, brother, I think. Uh, so I also want you to see these folks because you need to see their face uh, and know uh, who they are. Let me just ask you a question real quick. How many of you know who your deacon is? I'm just kind of curious. Okay. Now, I'm not going to, you don't. I'm not going to ask you if you don't know. That's a good thing. So I'm pretty encouraged. I'd say a good 80-some percent of us probably know who our deacon is. Um, go ahead and show the next slide. If you don't know, just for those of you who don't know, uh, we have what are called geo sections, And so uh, our deacons uh, kind of focus on a certain area, the membership. Uh, we have eight of those sections. We have seven deacons. So Lance Yoder, who's listed in geo section one, also covers another geo section. But it's just simply uh, divided up geographically. About 50% of the congregation numerically is uh, located in the greater Harrisonville area, which is represented by this slide. Uh, you know, Cass County has about 100,000 people in it. Uh, Harrisonville has 10,000 people in it. And uh, about 50% of our membership historically uh, is in that Harrisonville area, just right here within the area of Harrisonville. And then outside of that, you have Cass County. That's the 100,000. So about 50% of our congregation comes from Cass County and or Jackson, Henry, you know, Miami, you know, from outside of that area. So we divide that up outside of the immediate area into four sections as well. And each one of these men inherits that. And uh, they'll be getting you a card. If you have not seen them face to face, they'll get you a card. And uh, and so make sure you put the faces with the names and uh, and you know who your deacon is. You've done a good job. You'll see them at the end of service as we celebrate the Lord's Supper. So I just wanted to introduce them to you and thank you guys for your selection. We're excited about that. We will officially install them next Sunday, six o'clock. You're all invited to come out and enjoy that celebration. Amen. 
Amen. Thank you, guys. Appreciate you. Give them some love. Yeah. All right. And because we are in a season this year where we're selecting deacons, I wanted to just take a little bit of time and and just talk about what is the deal with deacons. We have some newer people to the church. Maybe you're a guest and you're looking, uh, you know, at HBF as an investment of your life with you and your family. And and so we want to just... we just want to, you know, take a little bit of time this morning before we celebrate the Lord's Supper to just talk about, you know, what's the deal with deacons? Why do we need deacons? What are they about? And so if you have your Bible, turn to the book of Acts, chapter 6. And if you don't have one, grab one from the bag that was given to you, or there should be one near you in the seat rack near you. And forgive me, I did not look for the page number. So if someone knows the page number, you can, sh- not in your Bible, but the ones that Heartland provides, you can shout that out. I mean, I'm on 169, but that may not mean anything to you. So Acts chapter 6 in the New Testament, we're going to be in verses 1 through 8 this morning. Acts chapter 6, verses 1 through 8. And I just want to address this subject of why do churches have deacons? Uh, The biblical reason to have deacons is to minister and to multiply. So you got the message, you can go home now, but you got to wait for the Lord's Supper, right? So that's the real reason, to minister and to multiply the ministry. Really, that's the, that's the biblical reason to have deacons. It's about multiplication, which, by the way, comes with uh, discipleship, right? And we'll talk a little bit about that as we go, uh, because the disciples multiply, right? Disciples multiply. Evangelists add to the body. Disciples multiply. That's a principle. For those of you going through how to disciple, you should have that down, right? We, I'm sure Jeremy's teaching that. I'm pointing at, at Jesse, but uh, Jeremy's teaching that wherever he's at. And so there he is. He moved on me. Jeremy's teaching that. Some, you're usually over there. And so uh, Jeremy's teaching that and how to disciple, right? So we know that addition is how we add to the body. We lead people to Christ one by one. It's like you make babies unless you have multiple babies at once. Uh, and then, uh, and then um, we multiply when we make disciples. We become a force multiplier because every disciple can lead multiple people to Christ and grow them up. In the Lord, and those people reproduce other disciples. And so, uh, when that happens, the body grows and it gets bigger. And there's usually two ways that, that uh, the devil attacks the body uh, from without and from within. In the book of Acts, uh, by the time we get to Acts chapter 6, uh, you've already seen that the, there's been persecution, right, on the church. Right off the bat, right? And the, the apostles continued steadfastly in the doctrine and the preaching and continued to minister and make disciples. And, and it just kept growing because persecution is the miracle grow of the church. But now they've gotten bigger, right? They've gotten, they've gotten more girth. They're bigger. Uh, they're more mass in regard to the, the size and the weight of the, of the church. And so now they start to struggle with some issues from within. And so that's where we pick up the text in Acts chapter 6. And I'll say as we get started, this isn't the word deacon will not be found here. Uh, it's a pattern. I think it's self-evident. You know, if it walks like a duck, talks like a duck, it's a duck. Uh, but Paul is the one who introduces the, the the actual office in First Timothy chapter three. But this is a great pattern for instruction this morning. Acts chapter six and verse one. It says in those days when the number of the disciples was multiplied, there arose a murmuring of the Grecians against the Hebrews. Because their widows were neglected in the daily ministration. Then the twelve called the multitude of the disciples unto them and said, It is not reason that we should leave the word of God and serve tables. Wherefore, brethren, look ye out uh, among you seven men of honest report, full of the Holy Ghost and wisdom, 
whom we may appoint over this business. But we will give ourselves continually to prayer and to the ministry of the word. And the saying pleased the whole multitude. And that would be both the Grecians and the Hebrews, although they were all Jewish. Uh, And they chose Stephen, a man full of faith and of the Holy Ghost, and Philip and, and Procurus and Nicanor and Timon and Parmenas and Nicholas, a proselyte of Antioch, whom they set before the apostles and whom they had prayed I'm sorry, when they had prayed, they laid their hands on them. And the word of God increased, and the number of the disciples multiplied in Jerusalem greatly. And a great company of the priests was obedient to the faith. And Stephen, full of faith and power, did great wonders and miracles among the people. Heavenly Father, as we gather together this morning, and we see in verse 1 and verse 7 that the church multiplied Lord, around the order and the structure of the offices of the deacons, Lord, it's not an accident that discipleship and structure and order come together for your honor and your glory. As you are building your church and the gates of hell will not stand against it, the gates of hell will certainly uh, try to prevail against us, but it will not happen. And Father, we need your help. We need your grace. We need your power. Lord, we know that Satan hates uh, every individual uh, human that has the potential, which is every human, the potential to glorify you and be changed in your very image. He hates especially those of us that have come to faith in Christ. He hates the work of the church. And, Lord, if he cannot stop us from without, he will try to do that from within. And you've left us two ordinances, baptism and the Lord's Supper, Father, and you want us to observe both of those because they both remind us of your power over death and your ability to unify us around your power. Lord, over uh, sin and death, as you are our sacrificial lamb, you are our Passover, Lord. You are our protection. You are our unifying factor. You are our deliverer, Lord. You are our propitiation, our replacement for sin, Lord. You have kept that death angel from touching us, and we're so thankful for that. And, Lord, now we pray as we look into the word of God that we would uh, understand a few more things as we are taking seriously what was written nearly 2,000 years ago And we're applying it today just as fresh today as it was in the first century. Lord, we're praying that you would do a work in our church that is just as powerful as it was in the first century. It may look different, Lord, but it is equally significant as we live in this Laodicean age. Lord, may we be those who sup with you. May we be those, Lord, who um, are not lukewarm. May we be those uh, that do overcome, as mentioned in that same chapter in Revelation 3. May we observe these things and give ourselves wholly to them. Lord, we love you because you first loved us. We thank you and we praise you this morning in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so as we look at this text, we're going to see three things. The reasons, uh, the reasons for appointing uh, deacons, the role of deacons, and the result of spirit-filled deacons. And I will not tarry. I'm going to move pretty quick because I want to get to the Lord's Supper. But the first thing we're going to see in your outline there is the reason, uh, the reason, right, the reason for appointing deacons. It's found in verses 1 and 3, 1 through 3. It says, and in those days when the number of the disciples was multiplied, disciples were multiplying, not just adding numbers, they were multiplying. Disciples are followers of Christ. Uh, And it says that there arose a murmuring of the Grecians against the Hebrews because their widows were neglected in the daily ministration. It seemed to be an inequity in the way that widows were being treated between those that were uh, Hellenistic in background, spoke Greek, uh, had some probably Roman influence in their life for whatever reason, 
and those that would consider themselves more orthodox, more Hebrew. So there became a there became a division because their widows were neglected in the daily ministration. Also, as we saw in the list of deacons, there's proselytes. There are Gentiles in the church now, people that have come into the body of Christ, like uh, uh, as mentioned with Nicholas. And so and so that also probably had uh, some bearing on this. And then it says, then the 12, the 12 apostles, of course, called the multitude of the disciples unto them. Uh, and notice they didn't bring all the widows and everybody. He brought the disciples in and said, it is not reason that we should leave the word of God and serve tables so we have some priorities to set here. Wherefore, brethren, look ye out from among you seven men of honest report, full of the Holy Ghost and wisdom, whom we may appoint over this business. Now, the church was exceedingly large, much larger than our church, and they had seven deacons. So we really should be covered here. Uh, the point, that, the first thing I want to do before we jump into all the details is just define what a deacon is, a de- uh, defining a deacon. Uh, uh, you know, bottom line is uh, it, the word deacon simply means servant or minister. The Greek word uh, diakonos is translated literally deacon. It's transliterated, I should say, rather. So it's brought in. It's a Greek word that's been brought into the English language. So the word deacon comes right out of, of the Greek. And so uh, point B, determining the necessity of the deacons is important. And notice it says, and in those days, uh, to be a good student of the Bible, you got to determine uh, what occurred leading up to those days. And we know the church in Jerusalem was growing like wildfire in Acts chapter 2 and verse 41. Uh, just kind of flip over there real quick. Uh, Acts 2.41, the Bible says that when they, had, when they had gladly received his word, they were baptized. And in that same day, there were added unto them about 3,000 souls, right? And so they were adding to the church. In chapter 4 and verse 4, the Bible says... Uh, Howbeit many of them which heard the word believed, and the number of the men was about 5,000. Man, that's a lot, 5,000. And so the Church of Jerusalem was the first megachurch, right? I know we're out here in Cass County with the small churches, but the first megachurch was in Jerusalem. And the church was functioning in a communal fashion. Uh, and, and that's where, you know, when you think of communal, you think of communism or you think of the sixties, whichever, same as. And, uh, and, uh, they, uh, they, they were coming together and they were sharing. They were waiting for the second coming and they were, had all things in common. They had, it says in Acts 2 and verse 44, uh, that it says, and all that believed were together and had all things common. They were pooling their resources. In chapter 4 and verse 32, the Bible says this, Jesus, oh, I'm sorry, I'm in the wrong chapter. Chapter 4 and verse 32, the Bible says, um, And the multitude of them that believed were as one heart and one soul. Neither said any of them that aught of their things which he possessed was his own, but they had all things in common. If you go to chapter 5 and verse 18, the Bible says, down in verse 18, And they laid their hands on the apostles and put them in the common prison so they even shared persecution together they got to share all their goods and then they got to share some persecution as they uh got put in prison together so the the reason for this was because they were waiting for the return of the lord jesus christ at any moment as we should be as well and jesus was poised to return and establish his kingdom through israel until the stoning of stephen in Acts chapter 7. So if they would have, even as a nation still received him, I believe God would have had a plan to redeem the Gentiles through a more Jewish church. But of course we know in Acts 7 they rejected Stephen and subsequently rejected the gospel in uh, Judea, Samaria, and the uttermost parts of the earth. 
as uh, Paul became the apostle of the Gentiles, and we are now still in that church age, that age of grace, until the catching away of the church. So the church discipline is exercised in Acts chapter 5 as Ananias and Sapphira sold property because they lied to God as they pretended to give all, but they actually just held some back. So they made out like, oh, we're giving everything. Uh, which they didn't have to give everything. They gave a portion, but they acted like they were given everything. And so God instantly said, okay, that's enough of that. And boom, they both dropped dead. And he gave them a chance to come clean. They wouldn't come clean. And so he took both their lives. You can go back and read that on your own. So church discipline was happening already before we get to Acts chapter 6. So there was fear upon the body of Christ, knowing that not to you know monkey around with the body of Christ. And, and the apostles were magnified greatly. And the fear of God rested upon the church. The Jews formed councils to stop the preaching of the gospel. But God continued to deliver the apostles miraculously and give them uh, credibility and remove the credibility of the Jewish council. Gamaliel, who trained the young Pharisee Saul of Tarsus, cautioned the Jewish leadership to hold judgment and allow the apostles to prove themselves heretical. And you can see his wisdom in Acts 5, 38 through 39, uh, there just right before the text that we read, where he says, And now I say unto you, refrain from these men and let them alone, for if <clears throat> if this council... Or this work be of men, it will come to naught. But if it be of God, you cannot overthrow it, lest happily you be found even to fight against God. So multiplication is the fruit of discipleship, as I've already set forth. You see all of this happening. I said all of that to say this. By the time you get to Acts chapter 6 and verse 1, the uh, number of the disciples is multiplying because discipleship is a multiplying factor. In the church it's the fruit of discipleship is multiplication. So we know the church is accomplishing the mission of God when we begin to multiply disciples and not just add numbers through evangelism, which, by the way, is awesome. We should add numbers through evangelism, but we should also train people in the word of God and grow them in the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ. So point D. What happens here is divisions or schisms, uh, as the Bible calls it, are a danger or the danger of multiplication. And uh, we've seen that already here in this church. Uh, it happens. The bigger you grow, the more danger there is of schism uh, and division in the church. And and so uh, in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, look back in 1 Corinthians chapter 12 and look at verse 24. We're not going to be long here, but um, 1 Corinthians chapter 12 and verse 24. The Bible says, For our comely parts have no need, but God hath tempered the body together having given more abundant honor to that part which lacked, that there should be no schism in the body. Schism is a division. But that the, the members should have the same care one for another. And whether one member suffer, all members suffer with it, or one member be honored, all members rejoice with it. Now ye are the body of Christ and members in particular. So what that means, obviously, is very clear. If you know First Corinthians chapter 12, all the body parts are important, right? When you smash your, your thumb with a hammer, your whole body lights up. You're like, ah! Right? I, you know, we just heard yesterday that um, Ray, Ray Brawlers lost his stepmom. You know, that, I hear that like my heart sinks. Um, uh, Kaylee and Blake Schaefer have a baby. Our hearts rejoice when a new baby comes in. Someone gets saved. We hear a testimony of that. We're all like, oh, that's awesome. Someone passes away, man, we're all kind of greed, right? Now, obviously, there's different levels, just like when you hit your your thumb, right? Uh, that hurts worse here than it hurts down here in my pinky toe. But it all still affects all of us, right? We are connected. 
And that's why talking about this during communion time is important because we want to continue to have unity in the body of Christ. And discipleship is all about delegation, right? Delegating authority. Jesus came to this earth and he delegated authority to those disciples so that they could do the mission. And when we have deacons, they are, they, these are officers, just like pastors are officers and they have delegated authority. Uh, you may have selected them, but we're going to install on them and God's hands upon them for the benefit of the body of Christ so that we can continue to be unified. And so uh, the problem in Jerusalem was that the result of the Hellenistic uh, Jew, the Greek-speaking and cultured Jews, and the Hebrew-speaking Jews of Jerusalem um, <clears throat> were not equitable with the widows. Right? The widows, uh, there, was a, there was a sense that some of the widows were not being treated properly. Now, it was important that the widows were treated properly. Why? Because that's your... That's, that's, that's grandma, right? That's your mother, right? You, you are to honor your mother and father. That's what the Bible teaches. That's, that's not Ephesians 6 only, right? That's Old Testament, right? So that's, that's, that, that, that translates. And so, all the way through the Bible, that never goes away. So when God multiplies, Satan divides. And there was a physical problem that affected the spiritual element of the body of Christ. Yeah. A physical problem can hinder a spiritual element of the body of Christ. And the apostles are like, well, we can't forsake what's spiritual for that which is physical, but we do need to address that which is physical because it's making a problem with the spiritual um, elements in the body of Christ. So deacons are instruments of the spirit to aid the body in turning friction into traction. Right? This is a time not to, to, you know, start siding up and having a war between the Hatfields and the McCoys. I'm glad we don't have any McCoys in this church. We did have, we did have Hatfields. Uh, but anyway, uh, so it's not right. It's a time to, to, to use this to say, wait a minute, there's a problem. Obviously, if the apostles could have addressed it adequately, they would have, and they weren't addressing it adequately, so they needed help, which is why this is all transpiring. They needed help because the body had grown. And so when there is friction, that is always in the body of Christ an opportunity to get traction. Right? Mark, set, Go. If your foot slips, you can't go anywhere. So sometimes there's friction in any in, in a personal relationship, right? You, you, there's some friction, but if you allow the Holy Spirit of God to lubricate that relationship, you know what? You'll get you know, you'll get a good start, and then the next thing you know, you're sailing, and you're rolling, and God is working. And so, point E, the purpose of the daily ministration. Now, this is a little bit. Uh, what is he talking about here? The daily ministration was the care of the elderly widows. We don't know exactly, like, was it bringing them bread? Was it, uh, you know, sweeping their floor? Was it, you know, what, what was it giving them money? Is it giving them alms? What was it? Well, we don't know. Probably food, I'm guessing, and, and some care of some sort. But uh, they served the widows daily. This was a daily task. And the Greek-speaking Jews claimed that the Hebrew Jews were, were being partial to their widows over the Greek-speaking or Hellenistic uh, widows. So there was a problem, and it was causing problems in the body. So the family uh, and the church still have the responsibility to care for elderly widows. Isn't that interesting? First Timothy chapter 5. I'm not going to have you look this up for time's sake, so I think I have it on the screen. But First Timothy chapter 5. No, I don't have it. Turn to First Timothy chapter 5 and verse 3. First Timothy chapter 5 and verse 3. First Timothy 5 and verse 3 says, I'll give you a second more to turn there. 
Here, Paul speaking. Honor widows that are widows indeed. So it is a qualified widow. It's a widow indeed. Uh, But if any widow have children, and he defines what a widow indeed is in verse 4. If any widow have children or nephews, let them learn first to show piety at home and to requite their parents. For that is good and acceptable before God. Right? Honor your parents. Take care of your parents. Now, verse 5, she that is a widow indeed and desolate trusteth in God and continueth in supplications and prayers night and day. This is a woman of prayer. But she that liveth in pleasure is dead while she liveth. And these things give in charge that they may be blameless. But if any provide not for his own, especially for they of his own house, he hath denied the faith and is worse than an infidel. Worse than a lost person. I mean... Losses is lost. I mean, that's as bad as it gets. And he's like, you're worse than that. That's that's pretty heavy. We need to hear that in our culture in America. Because that's kind of been systematically stripped from us through all this individuality stuff. And, and it's destroying the family unit. And so so you need to let that set in a little bit. The One of the places where we should be seeing that, like working right, is in the local New Testament church. But we're all coming in here from different backgrounds. Uh, but that is, this is the place where we should understand what the family unit looks like and, and how to support that. Uh, verse nine, let, let not a widow be taken in into the number under threescore years old, having been the wife of one man, well reported of for good works. If she have brought up children, if she have lodged strangers, if she have washed the saints' feet, if she have uh, relieved the afflicted, if she have diligently followed every good work. He's like, we're talking about godly widows. That are destitute, the church should take care of them. Uh, that's what it says. Verse 11. But the younger widows refuse, right? There aren't younger widows. For when they have begun to wax wanton against Christ, they will marry, having damnation because they've cast off their, fir- their first faith. And with all they learn to be idle, wandering about from house to house, and not, I- not only idle, but tattlers and also busybodies, speaking things which they ought not. So he's like, be careful, right? Younger women need to marry. Uh, if they're still of marrying age, uh, and so if they're under 60 years old, they're not even eligible. That's what he's saying. Um, and that's what Paul said. So people, people get mad at me. Hey, I, I didn't say that. Paul said it. But you get the point. His point is, is that, uh, you need to take care of those, those in your family. That's the first. And then there are widows where the church needs to come around them because they are destitute and they're godly and we need to make sure we do our part. So the key to caring for widows is to ensure they are widows indeed. They took care of their own widows. Uh, This is a a large job for the deacon. It's not reasonable to expect them to take care of everyone else's widows too, right? So the widows of the church were the priority. And so there were widows that needed to be cared for. But then every man in the church has a a responsibility. Uh, This is real for, my mother is a widow. So guess what? I mean, that is, she's over 60. So guess who's responsible for her? I don't know as I do a good job. I get convicted when I think about this. So, Mom, I'm sorry. But I try. I really do. I was just thinking about that this morning. Uh, it's important, right, that we take care of the elderly people that we're charged to take care of. But in addition to that, we got others to take care of, right? Not just ours, but there's others that we need to be privy to in the church. And the deacons were helping uh, with that as well. So we must remember that if Satan can't cause division and schisms by our evil doing, He'll subtly divide us in our well-doing, right? So this is well-doing. If he can't divide you by with evil-doing, he'll divide you by well-doing. 
And that's these people were trying to take care of the widows. Everybody wanted to take care of widows. And now they're like, well, our widows aren't getting taken care of as well as your widows. And, uh, you know, so now there's schism in the well-doing. The devil's tricky. Point F. The leadership dealt with sin to keep them focused on their mission. See, what happens when that kind of sin creeps into the body, people lose sight of the mission of leading people to Christ and making disciples. And we become introspective. Have you ever seen that happen in a church? Oh, my goodness. And then everybody starts gnawing on each other. The Bible talks about that. You'll destroy yourself. It's like cancerous because people lose sight of what we're even here for, which is to reach lost people that are dying and going to hell. That's why we make disciples. It's not just to care for each other and pat each other on the back and play patty cake, which is all fun. Uh, but, but we also got to grow up and mature up and realize that there's a world out here dying and going to hell. And guess what stands between that and, and hell is us. I mean, we really have a, a stake as a pillar and ground of the truth and as salt and light, as a light in the midst of a crooked and perverse nation. It behooves us to be very sober about our responsibility to keep God's vision. So the leadership is like, whoa, whoa, whoa. We need to address this. Uh, but if we leave the word of God in prayer, we're going to go blind. We're going to certainly be Laodicean Christians. We'll need ISAF so that we can see. So we know the importance of prayer. We know the importance of being in the word of God. That's, that's, uh, that's utmost or we'll lose our vision. Right? So we can't afford to be blind. But you know what we need? We need some help here. So the leadership was dealing with this sin. The apostles refused to sacrifice eternal bread for temporal bread. And I'm presuming that they were probably handing out portions of bread uh, for the, the widows. I don't know that, but that's likely. Um, and so they said, look, we got, the, we got the manna from heaven here, so we need some physical manna distribution going on there. And so, you know, we know that in ministry, right? If you don't meet the temporal needs, it's often difficult to meet the spiritual needs. If you're starving to death, like at the mission, when I, before we would preach a message and then we would hand out food. Because it does us no good to preach a message and then not, and let people sit there and starve. How, how hypocritical is that? Right? So you do need to help them. And so uh, they were not minimizing the importance of meeting the physical need. They were, uh, they were stating the fact that God had not called them to wait tables but to teach all nations not to feed the nations. Okay? Think about that. So God wasn't calling them to feed the nations. He was calling them to teach all nations. So if you are out looking for a church today, that's a subtle thing that you should look at. Nothing wrong with helping people get food, but I'm telling you, the poor will always be with you. The most important thing is teaching all nations. That's what changes people from the inside out. That's what gives them an ability, as we like to say, uh, to fish, right? Not just give a man a fish, teach him to fish. Where does that concept come from? It comes from the Bible. It comes from people who are locked in on what God's word says and understand how God works. And, and, and those principles transfer, not only in spiritual life, but in physical life. And so the, the spiritual has to be the priority. The pastors are like, this has to be the priority. Because we're not called to feed the nations, we're called to teach the nations. But I do need some help over here in feeding some widows. Right. And so the lack of faithful fathers results in fractured families. The lack of faithful men results in a lack of faithful fathers. I got that backwards. A lack of faithful, uh, the lack of faith produces a lack of faithful men. Let me start there. A lack of faith produces a lack of faithful men. Men need to see men full of faith. And then 
A lack of faithful men results in a lack of faithful fathers because we've got to have faithful fathers. And a lack of faithful fathers results in fractured families. And a lack of faith-filled, uh, faith-filled family structure results in stress upon the church family. Why? Because when a family can't get it together, the church can't get it together. So in Acts, chapter, in, in Acts, they only need seven deacons among thousands in a large part because the families were intact and they cared for themselves. How can thousands of people, 5,000 plus, probably 10,000 people, right? Because probably more than that if you count all the kiddos. I mean, we're talking a major, we're talking bigger than Harrisonville. The church. How did they only need seven deacons, pray tell, without Social Security? Well, because, like most cultures in the world, today, even today, the families took care of the families. They took care of each other. That's how it was designed to work. That's why I'm just kind of like, let that sink in a little bit. When our friends come over from other countries and they go to school here and they come into this culture, it doesn't matter which culture they're coming from, from an Asian culture, from a Latin culture, unless they're coming from a European culture, uh, but even those oftentimes have more family unit than we do in the United States. It's just the way it is. We're awful independent, and God has made us to be dependent upon him and to depend on one another in love, to edify, build one another in love. That's what the Bible teaches. Okay, i got to keep moving. We're going to run out of time. So only in the 21st century in the United States is it a foreign concept to some that the family structure is not to be intact. Uh, then the burden falls on the church family. And so uh, men who make babies and refuse to feed them are a burden uh, on society, right? Single mothers uh, is an epidemic in the United States. And it's not even, it was a stigma 30 years ago, 40 years ago for sure. Today it's not even a stigma. Nobody cares who gave it, who's the baby daddy? No, he's not a father, he's a baby daddy, baby mama. We're even dropping the terms of respect because there's a difference between a baby daddy and a, and a baby mama and a father and a mother, right? There's a, there's a stewardship issue with a father. There's a stewardship issue with a mother. There's a nurturing factor with a father and a mother. There's a responsibility upon those that God has ordained. And so there, that, that is, that is now becoming a foreign concept. Of course, we're so con- not we hopefully in the church, we're not confused, but there, the whole culture, uh, some are getting confused, especially in the younger generations. And I won't get into that this morning. But if you don't know what gender you are, you certainly aren't going to know what your role is in a family. It's almost now up to 50 percent of the babies born in the USA are born to unwed mothers. Was 40 some percent last time I checked. I mean, that's, that is not good. The resources of the church and the state will be taxed, which is great if you're a communist tyrant and you want to control people's lives. That's wonderful. The communism that you see here in Acts is not that. This is, this is communal in grace. This is communal under Christ. This is free will. Doing what God tells you to do and taking care of your family. Completely different. If, you, if you're able to, if you're able-bodied man or woman and, and have a hungry child and you love Jesus, then you need to get a job and feed him, especially if there's jobs. 
I mean, that's how it, it's supposed to work. It's our job to teach you to finish or to go to, fi- to fish and not just give you the fish. That's teaching. That's, that's what fathers and mothers do to the next generation and so on and so forth. You guys get it. Are, am I losing anybody? Okay. Are we, can we say amen? amen? Amen. I think we're on the same page. So the breakdown in, in, in faithful men and family is particularly why a small country church like ours needs as many deacons as a church of thousands in the first century. Because there's a lot of work to do as our society continues to unravel. And I'm just calling all men, by the way. This isn't just a deacon message. I'm calling all men to be men. Okay, point G. The entire body has part in selecting the seven deacons. We saw that in verse 3. The responsibility of selection is placed on the believing congregation. Wherefore, brethren, look ye out among you seven men of honest report, full of the Holy Ghost and wisdom, whom we may appoint over this business. Selection by the congregation should cut down the odds of selecting a hypocrite. They may fool the pastor on Sunday, but they won't fool the congregation on Monday through Friday, right? So you all know people better than I do, because when they come around me, they're like, oh, I'm, I'm great, pastor. You know, I don't know. Okay. I'll take you at your word. I'm not, I'm not following you around. You know, I know some of you probably think I am. I'm not. That's the Holy Ghost following you around. That is it, right? I, and so you guys select them. I'm like, we're all like, yes. Uh, and so our church should be filled with deacons, right? Men that minister, that men that are servants, that are and there are some that, that we should then appoint and recognize to fill the office of a deacon. Would to God we had, because we kind of cap it, would to God we just had a list a mile long of deacon men. We could just rotate new seven every two, couple years and it'd be easy on everybody. That'd be cool. Point three, the requirements are, are fairly simple. As recorded in Acts 6.3, a deacon is to be a man uh, for the office. Of deacon, women obviously can deacon in the sense of serve as well as men. But the office of bishop and deacon are reserved for men. That there's no there's no dispute about that, uh, biblically speaking. A deacon is to have an honest report that that ensures he has a good testimony because he represents the Lord and the church body. A deacon is to be full of the Holy Ghost, and to be full of the Holy Ghost, a deacon must be emptied of himself. So having a lot of knowledge of the word of God, yeah, that's important. That is most important. However, it's not just that. It's empty of self, right? Empty of self, full of the word. So be careful. Just because people know a lot of the word does not mean they're empty of self. Full of the Holy Ghost. Uh, and a deacon is to be full of wisdom. A man with wisdom who has spent time in God's word. Colossians 3.16 says, Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly in all wisdom teaching and admonishing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with grace in your hearts to the Lord. You know, if you have grace to the Lord, you're going to have grace with other people. And whatsoever you do in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God and the Father by him. So the office of a deacon has a biblical standards for the man. He's not, according to 1 Timothy 3, 8 through 13, he's not to be double-tongued, not a heavy drinker, not a dishonest businessman, understanding the mystery of the faith and, and holding it in a pure conscience, not a novice, a man who has been proven, full of wisdom, blameless, an honest report, like it says in Acts 6, 3, full of the Holy Ghost. The deacon's wife, which is not mentioned here in, 1 Corinthians, or in Acts chapter 6, uh, but is in 1 Timothy 3, 11, is to be grave, which means to be honest, not slanderous. Satan is is uh, the root word, by the way, when you study that word slander. When I first came to Heartland, I studied that out. I didn't know that. 
the root word for slander is Satan. And so, uh, serpent. So, uh, so inter- interesting there. And so Satan, uh, so the tongue, uh, should not be loosed. The, the wife should be sober. Again, full of wisdom, faithful in all things, trustworthy. Uh, a man's wife uh, can disqualify him from holding either the office of a deacon or a pastor. So there is a pressure, so to speak, an expectation of both a pastor's wife and a deacon's wife. You could be the best dude in the world, but, but, uh, man, your wife is a reflection of you and it is, it is a qualifier or disqualifier as well. Um, notice what a deacon is not. Point six, uh, not necessarily aged. Age doesn't ensure wisdom or godliness necessarily. Uh, not necessarily the most popular. Popularity or charisma does not qualify one for the office of a deacon. Not necessarily the richest man in the church. Uh, Barnabas gave mightily in Acts uh, 4, uh, 36 to 37. He sold his land and, and brought the possessions to the apostles' feet, and God blessed him. But he didn't make the deacon list. So just because someone gives a lot of money doesn't mean, oh, well, Joe's going to be a deacon. I don't know. I'm glad I don't look at the cash and who gives anything because I don't know if there's a Joe who gives a lot of money. But anyway, I need to come up with a fictitious. Give me the fictitious name that nobody has in here. Poindexter. That's a good one. So Poindexter gives a million bucks. That doesn't mean he's a deacon. Poindexter does not necessarily become a deacon because he gave a million bucks to the church. So sorry, Poindexter. You've got to have godly character. You know, my luck, there's probably a Poindexter here today. <laughs> And he's not necessarily the nicest guy. He doesn't have to be the nicest guy, but being nice doesn't guarantee he's qualified. Uh, not necessarily the most knowledgeable, uh, though that is important that he is knowledgeable, but it doesn't mean, again, that he's emptied himself. Not necessarily the most uh, well-connected. I mean, he, he may have social status, or he may not. Um, a deacon is not recognized simply because he held an office in another local church. A deacon may be aged, popular, rich, nice, knowledgeable, and well-connected, but none of those are what qualified him for the office of deacon. Right? They need to be godly men, full of wisdom. And so selection or nomination of a deacon is the congregation's responsibility. Appointing those selected the office is the pastor's responsibility. So notice that the matter is not put to the church vote, although the church did select them. Uh, they, they, They may... There may be issues that a shepherd is aware of that the congregation is not. So the, the nominated deacon may have a, a private issue in, the, in his life that would allow him uh, not to fulfill or would disallow him from fulfilling the office of a deacon. So HBF, will go through, we go through the process every couple years. Uh, and, and, you know, we do that as often as, as we need to. And the office of deacon uh, is not necessarily a lifelong office. Just as a pastor may disqualify himself for ministry, so also a deacon is subject to the requirements of Scripture. Uh, and at HBF, you know, every, the deacons do stay in the office as long as you guys keep selecting them. There's no prohibitation, pro, prohibiting that. And then there are deacons that kind of age out, like um, Bob Bolkin or Joe Sparks, and we call them deacon emeritus just because that's... Then we had guys like Walt Cundiff, who was a deacon, who never would take the office. After about three cycles of people voting for him, and he's the top, you know, vote-getter... And him rejecting it, rejecting it. It's like, okay, well, guys, I can't force Walt anymore, but everyone knows he's a deacon. That's, that's the kind of testimony a guy needs to have. Um, so the question is, the reasons for appointing deacons is to steward the spiritual and physical growth of the body of Christ. And so 
The reason for appointing deacons is to steward the spiritual and physical growth of the body of Christ. Well, what's the role of a deacon? Well, in verses 3 through 4, we saw that. The role of a deacon is to take care of the important church business as an extension of the pastor. The deacon is not to run the church. The deacon is not to delegate uh, for uh, to be, I'm sorry, the delegate of the people as if the church were a political organization. Uh, the deacon is, is uh, to serve the body in a shepherding role, uh, and they, they may or may not be preachers, right? Um, but they, they certainly are uh, serving in a shepherding capacity. So point B, the deacon is, is to free the pastor and spend time uh, to, to spend time on the two major priorities, prayer and the ministry of the word of God. So the pastor is responsible to be in prayer continually. Praying is a hard thing. I know people think prayer, that's no big deal. I, well, just try it. It's not as easy as you think. Romans chapter 1 and verse 9 says, For God is my witness, whom I serve with my, with my spirit in the gospel of his uh, son, that without ceasing I make mention of you always in my prayers, making requests if by any means now at length that I might have a prosperous journey by the will of God. And the point here to, to come unto you, the point there Paul's making is he's praying without ceasing. His prayer life was, was rich. Like a priest, he was always bringing incense before the altar. The pastor's responsibility is to minister the word continually. My job as a pastor is to get the word uh, out uh, in word and deed, both what I say and how I live. And that's the job of all the pastors in the church. So none of us, um, none of the pastors, nor the deacon, um, is to be the Lord over God's heritage. So, you know, it does. people say, hey, boss, I'm not the boss. Right. Jesus is the boss. You know, I'm the under shepherd. He's the boss, man. We all work for him. He is the boss. Uh, Peter said that very clearly in first Peter chapter five. He says, feed the flock of God, which is among you, taking the oversight there, not by constraint, but willingly, not for filthy lucre, but of a ready mind, neither as being lords over God's heritage, but being in examples, examples to the flock. So we should model that. Deacons should also model that. God is oftentimes, uh, God will oftentimes grow the deacon as he serves in the office. So that doesn't mean they have to be fully matured in the sense that every way, just there should be mature as a Christian, but there's always room for all of us, for me to grow, for you to grow, for a deacon to grow. Uh, the seven selected in Acts 6 were initially chosen to serve the physical meat while the apostles served the spiritual meat and was, <clears throat> it was, um, through this process that God developed Stephen and Philip in particular. Stephen becomes the first martyr of the early church in Acts chapter 7 as he preached. And, he, and his wisdom was outstanding if you go and, and look at that. Philip goes on to be an evangelist who wins the first Gentile to Christ in Acts chapter 8 verses 29 through 40. And so what is the role of a deacon? Well, it's to aid in the pastor or pastor's uh, it's to aid the pastors to attend to the word of God in prayer by assisting the pastor in ministry to the physical needs of the body. And lastly, the result of spirit-filled deacons. What is the result? And that's, I'm glad you asked. That's a, good, that's a good place to conclude. The congregation chose men who were able to understand the cultural differences in the body. Right? You have Stephen, Philip, uh, Prochorus, Nicanor, Nicanor uh, Timon, uh, Parmenius, and Nicholas. They were all of a Hellenistic or Greek-speaking culture, uh, most likely because of their names. And they could understand the culture. It's interesting, too, that the Hebrews agreed to that. So these were people who understood the culture. This uh, is the case in any church. Race, social status, and such do not have anything to do with becoming a Christian. 
But in reality, God uses our culture and our cultural diversity to reach the world. In our church, we're pretty monolithic racially, but we are not socially. There are different social classes in our church, and it should make a, 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 a bit of difference. And our, it should help us reach the world, not hinder us. Right? That's why God allows diversity is to help us accomplish the mission. It shouldn't hinder us. The body of Christ is super diverse. If there's a place where, where you know, you have seminars at your job, diversity of this, diversity of that, the place where diversity should be modeled is in the body of Christ. Now, we are kind of a reflection of Harrisonville, Cass County, but if our, if our makeup was different uh, uh, ethnically, we should look different ethnically because that means we're reaching the people in our community. And so, um, so, so I hope this body grows more and more diverse as time goes on because you know what? Our country is going to grow more and more diverse. And if you don't win people that come to this country, guess what? They're going to be lost and dying and going to hell. God wants it. And by the way, if we don't go reach the world, God will bring the world to us. If you lose sight of the vision, well, the, the world will come to you. Point B, I've got to move on. The apostles publicly recognized the congregation's decision by praying and laying hands on the deacons in Acts 6-6. The people chose, the pastors endorsed. And so uh, I'm going to keep moving for time's sake because I'm out of time. The structure allowed the church to be fruitful, so that was good. Right, so the, you guys select, we endorse that, and then that allows the the the, uh, the church to be fruitful. In Acts uh, chapter six, seven, and eight, we see that word dis, uh, multiply show back up in Acts six, verses seven and eight. And the word of God, notice the word of God increased. The number of the disciples multiplied. Why? Because the word of God increased. That's what that's what makes it happen. Is this book? It's the Bible. That's the, that's the priority. The, the apostles put the right priority on the right things. The deacons helped them do that. And guess what? The body grew. The body grew. It's the word of God and prayer. So the number of the disciples multiplied in Jerusalem, not just a little bit, it says, but greatly. So the deacons are necessary for a growing body. We don't need deacons because it's the next thing to do. We need deacons whether recognized or not, whether we have the offices filled formally or not, we need men that are deacons. And we need wives that are deacon material as well that can be a deacon's wife if they're a wife. If you're a single lady or a single man, deacon character qualities for all of us. Why? Because you know what? The body needs it to grow. We all need to grow and mature. And we should all deke. Whether you're in the office or not, all of us should serve. All of us should deke. The ones that become installed are the ones you all select. So in conclusion, we've seen that the office of the deacon is defined, and the reasons for appointing deacons is to steward the spiritual and physical growth of the body, uh, to aid the pastors in attending to the word of God and prayer through the care of the body. And lastly, the result of spirit-filled deacons should be health and spiritual growth of the body of Christ and allow us to continue to multiply. So what's your responsibility as a member of HVF? Well, those guys that I brought up here earlier, this is what I'm asking you all to do, is pray for them. You know what? We talk about the word and prayer. Can you do that? Can you pray for them? Because the devil wants to stop them and their wives and their children. Pray for them. Remember 1 Timothy chapter 3. Pray for that, that character to be continuously formed in their life and support uh, my decision and the decision of the pastors to install the deacons. And obey the word of God. You know the best thing you can do for a deacon or a pastor and your church 
You know it, is obey the word of God. Man, you know what makes makes it easy for a deacon is when people love God and love people. Man, that deacon, he's going to be happy to see you. He's going to be happy to minister to you. He's gonna, it's going to be so much easier if you love God and you love people. And you know what? I'm not talking about widows, although they should love God and love people too. I'm talking about all of us. So, Brian, I hope I wasn't a burden on you, brother. <laughs> so, Brian was our deacon last cycle. And so... Uh, you know, you don't want to be a, you, I, hey, if you have a need, that's what we're here for. We're here to help. Don't, don't misunderstand what I'm saying. But the best thing that we can all do is, is love God and love people. And it makes it so much better. And so we, as we come to the Lord's Supper, man, there's unity. There is, uh, there is purpose. There's vision. There's an understanding that Jesus saved us. Man, he saved us to inherit some things together. And so that, that judgment seat of Christ is not just about me, and it's not just about you standing before Jesus Christ, though we will all give account individually. Guess what we're going to give account for individually? Yeah, for this, what we did in the body, whether it be good or bad. Not just this body. Yeah, we'll give account for that too, but what we did in this body. And that's why, here in just a few moments, We're going to celebrate the Lord's Supper and think about what he did with his body. He emptied himself of, man, he just emptied himself of everything and gave himself for us. And and that is so that we could come together today in unity as one body, as one flesh, as one man, so to speak, and and worship and glorify him. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for this time to come together and celebrate the Lord's Supper. Look forward to that here in just a moment as we wrap up and and do that together. I pray, God, a blessing on the word of God as it's gone forth.